Well, I'm glad you're here today, and I pray that today will be an, an encouragement to you. We are still in the book of, uh, uh, I mean, I just always want to say the Philippines, the uh, Philippians. We do a lot of mission work in the Philippines, and so uh, uh, I always uh, want to say that. My tongue wants to say it. My brain knows the difference. My tongue doesn't always know the difference. So actually, what we're talking about today is uh, Philippians chapter 2. We see that uh, God asks us to be humble like Jesus. Now, just to remind you, Paul is writing from a prison cell in Rome to the church at Philippi, and uh, this is the only time he's ever written to a church, uh, at least that we know of, uh, that he's not writing to them to actually correct something, uh, correcting a belief or a behavior. Uh, He is actually writing to them to commend them uh, for what they're doing. Uh, Last week, we talked about unity and how uh, unity is not the same as total and complete agreement. Uh, We can be uh, uh, disagreeing on some minor issues of life and things, and yet, uh, and God can actually uh, convict our hearts to do different things uh, while we are still remaining totally and completely in unity on the big things and moving God's kingdom forward. And so, um, uh, I I don't want to spend too much time reviewing last week's sermon. You can see that on the the, uh, internet at fogkc.com on our website. Uh, but I do want to let you know that, um, you know, it was really hundreds of years later before uh, these letters were broken down into chapters and verses. Uh, Paul wasn't writing those along the side while he was writing a letter to somebody. These were broken up afterwards. And so as we see uh, here in chapter 2, we're going to see this idea of unity that he kind of closed out into the, uh, the last chapter. It kind of spills into uh, love and how unity needs love around it, and then how love uh, leads into uh, humility. And so I want to read the entire passage we're going to take a look at today, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, and then we'll come back and take it apart a little bit and look at it. Here's what it says. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now we see here as he starts chapter 2, as I said before, he's kind of continuing this idea of unity and he basically tells the church at Philippi to continue practicing love and unity. Love and unity. Let's go back and just read those first two verses. He says, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. 
Now, some very interesting things here. First, Paul's basically saying this. He's saying, listen, if you have encouragement, if you get any encouragement with your, in your relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've been comforted by his love at all, if you feel connected to the Holy Spirit, if you've benefited in all these ways by your relationship, by your relationship with Jesus, then complete my joy by practicing love and unity with one another. He's saying, look, folks, if you've really experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ, if you've really experienced this sense of forgiveness, this sense of hope, uh, this faith that comes from that, all of these wonderful things, then keep practicing love and unity. Keep practicing love and unity. Now, why would he say, make my joy complete? Did you notice that? He didn't say, listen, now make your joy complete by continuing to practice love and unity. Would it be joyful for them to do it? Of course. He didn't say, complete uh, God's uh, 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 joy by practicing love and unity. Does it please God when we practice love and unity? Yes, of course. Why did he say, complete my joy? Well, here's why. One of the most satisfying things for a teacher or evangelist or, or pastor is to see their protégés actually practicing what he taught them. What he taught them. Now listen, parents, you'll get this. Think about the things that you tell your children and the things that you've told them over and over and over and over again, and then they get it. And you go, wow, I, I think they're really getting it now. I think, I think the light bulb has come on. They're getting it. That's, this is what Paul's saying. Listen, guys, you guys are practicing love and unity. Keep doing it because it pleases me. It, 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 it just brings me joy to know that you guys are actually living this way. You don't just talk about it. You don't just preach it to one another. You're actually living it. That brings me joy. Remember, Paul planted this church on his second missionary journey. Probably a lot of these people he led to Christ himself. These are people that he led to Jesus. These are people that he invested in, that he discipled. Remember, the, the Great Commission doesn't say to go and make converts. It says go and make disciples. Paul made some of these people into disciples. And after years, he's hearing these vicious rumors about the, the church at Philippi that they're practicing love and unity. It's like, dudes, this is cool. I love it when I hear that. Let me tell you something. When I, I'm not saying I'm Paul, <laughs> but when I hear people in our church practicing love and unity for one another, it pleases me. It brings joy to my heart. When I see that we put a, a, a need on the city, which is our church's social network, when somebody places a need on that social network and then I just watch the responses, boom, they start hitting, boom, Boom, boom. Hey, I'm moving. I need some help. I'll help. I'll be there. What time should I be there? I'll be there. I'll be there. <sighs> that brings me joy. When I see, hey, somebody's coming home from the hospital. They need some meals. I'll take Monday. I'll take Wednesday. I'll take Friday. I'll take Sunday. I'll take Tuesday. Boy, that brings me joy, folks. Paul's saying, look, folks, when you keep practicing love and unity, it certainly benefits you, but it pleases me. It pleases me because he had invested so much. Now listen, if you are here and you know Jesus as your Savior, somebody shared that with you. Somebody shared that with you. In fact, 
uh, you may even know the person that led you to Christ. You also may remember the people that have invested in you, who have discipled you, who have spent literally hours teaching you and helping you grow in your Christian walk. You want to bring some joy to their life this week? Call them up and say, hey, listen, I want you to know that I'm serving God in a really good church that practices love and unity, and and I give you credit for some of that. I, I want to thank you for what you did for me. That will bring joy to their life. And by the way, that also means if you want to experience this kind of joy in your life, guess what you need to do? You need to share the gospel with other people. You need to lead some of them to Christ. You need to invest your life in discipling others and helping them grow. We won't know until we get to heaven uh, all of that. Uh, but, but Facebook has been a really good thing because occasionally somebody from a youth group that I led you know, back in 1983, it's a miracle of God that I wasn't arrested for some of the things we did, uh, crazy, you know, kooky things, you know, putting kids at risk that I probably should never have done. But anyway, uh, that's not a confession for anybody who's taping this for any kind of legal ramification. Uh, but anyway, these kids will, will, you know, say, hey, listen, Pastor Michael, I want to tell you what you, sh- what you did, what you, what you did by sharing the gospel with me has made a difference in my life. That brings joy to me. Folks, I want you to experience that, and I want you to help the people that have invested you experience it. So let's do this same thing. Secondly, we see in this passage that in humility, consider others better than yourself. Look at verses 3 and 4. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, you don't need to go to seminary for 20 years to figure out what this is saying. We're pretty, you all look like a pretty smart bunch. What he's saying, what he's really saying theologically is this. Put others before yourself. Okay? That's all he's saying here. Don't do anything with the motivation of self, but put others first. By the way, he's not saying have a lowly view of yourself like you're some kind of dirt on a snake's belly. He's not saying that. He's not saying to how, hey, I want you to have a really poor self-esteem. I want you to just think of yourself as nothing so that you can give everybody else preference. He's not saying that. In fact, if you read it carefully, he's saying, look, not only, uh, not only look out for your own interests, which implies you do look out for your own interests, but for the interests of others also. Now, I do a lot of counseling, premarital counseling, marital counseling, and uh, I have never had a couple come to me and say, listen, uh, we, we just need some help because we, we keep getting into these arguments. We sit down to watch television, and, and she wants to watch the cooking channel, and he wants to watch American Ninja Warriors or whatever they are. And she says, no, honey, I want to watch what you want to watch. And he says, no, honey, I want, I want to put you first and watch the cooking channel for three hours. And then she says, no, honey, I want to watch all these 14 reruns of Ninja Warrior. Thing. I've never had anybody come to me and say, we just can't get along because we keep putting each other first and when it just doesn't work out. But I can't count for you how many couples come in and say, 
I don't like him very much because he always wants what he wants. And I don't like her very much because she always wants what she wants. Folks, listen. In our humanness, in our sinfulness, let's just admit the fact that we just all want what we want. Let's be, let's be careful not to bring the Scriptures down to our lowly level of living, but let's keep the Scriptures up high and just admit that we don't measure up. Okay? Listen, this, this is, a, I mean, it's a simple thing, but it's a hard thing. Do we really put others' needs before our own in every circumstance? Probably not. Probably not. Now, his church is doing really good at it. This church at Philippi is doing really good at it. But he's saying, listen, man, don't forget this. Keep doing this. We got to do it. But then, uh, if that wasn't enough of a kick in the teeth, he raises the bar. And he says, listen, uh, the only model you have is just to be like Jesus. Be humble like Jesus, no matter what. Wow. Now, now it's a double kick in the teeth. Look what it says in verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's all. That's all you got to do. <laughs> He's saying, listen, have this attitude in you that you can have because Christ Jesus is in you, and then he uses this model of Jesus. And what he's saying is, listen, folks, Jesus had every right to claim to be God because he was God. He had every right to come to this earth and say, everybody bow down and worship me because I'm the man or I'm the God. He had every right to do that. He would have been absolutely within his uh, realm of truth to say that, and he is God. He was entitled to do that, but he didn't latch on to what he was entitled to. He gave it up, and he put on the form of man and limited himself in order to come to this earth. Think about that. When it talks about he put on flesh, it means he, he basically put on a coat. So Jesus is a spirit. He's omnipresent. He can be anywhere he wants, anytime he wants. He's, he's all over the place, all over everywhere, all the time. And then... Out of love for us, like putting on a coat, he puts on the flesh of a human being and he limits himself now to one place at a time. He becomes a human being and he comes here out of love for us. He humbles himself. He's up here. He's the son of God. He's preexisted forever. And he humbles himself. He chooses to do that. And come to us. And then Paul says, but not just humbling himself. He didn't just humble himself to become a human being, which was pretty humbling for God. But then he was even more humble by being obedient. In fact, 
being obedient to death, even the death on a cross. Listen, folks. Jesus had the ability at any moment to stop all that nonsense that was going on when he was paying for our sins. I, I know my wife has a really hard time watching movies that show the crucifixion of Christ. And, and it's hard to watch them. I think probably the passion of the Christ is probably the most accurate. They're hard to watch, folks. But I think, it would be, I think it's good for us to kind of force ourselves to watch those occasionally. Because we forget that 39 times a man raised his arm with a, a handle and, and a bunch of leather straps that had pieces of broken pottery and glass on the ends. And he slung that at Jesus and those things wrapped around his body. He twisted that thing and yanked it. By the way, he was a professional. He did that for a living. In fact, many times men would die from 39 lashes because, I don't want to be too gruesome, but it would just tear off so much flesh off their body, their insides would fall out on the ground and they would die. That's it. They're done. He endured it. And then they beat him. They mocked him. They humiliated him. And he just took it. He didn't have to. He just took it. And then they made him carry his cross up the steepest hill anywhere around there. And in fact, they didn't make him do it. He chose to do it. And then when he got to the top, they pounded those nails that looked like railroad spikes into his hands and feet. And he just took it, folks. Now, we might think we're humble. But then... <laughs> They pulled that cross up into the ground and the hole was already dug where it sat and when it got upright, it fell into the ground and he hung there. Every moment being able to stop it and he just took it out of humility and love for us and he paid for our sins, folks. Whew. He maintained this attitude of humility his entire life until finally the ultimate. But the story doesn't end there. Paul says, listen, because he started out as Jesus, the Son of God, and he humbled himself to become a man, and then he humbled himself to die, and then to die on a cross, and because of this humility... Whenever the Bible says, therefore, you want to know what, what did God do? He raised him. He raised him to the highest place so that when his name is mentioned, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that he is indeed who he was in the beginning as the Lord and who he was the whole time. He's the Lord. Because of his humility, God raises him up. And then Paul says, folks, folks in the church, have the same attitude when you're dealing with other people. Have the same attitude when you are uh, interacting with one another. Now, we didn't start off as God, so what does he mean by that? What is he really saying? Well, here's what he means. He means we don't have, we don't have the attitude that we are something special on our own. Or somehow that we deserve to be respected and seen as greater than others. Now, listen, I love our country. I am thankful to God all the time that I was born in this country. 
But sometimes our Americanism gets mixed into our Christianity a little too much. What I mean by that is this. We, we are taught at an early age to demand what we're entitled to. We have rights. We have been given rights. And we should demand them. And we should protect them. And I'm not, this, is not a, this is not a government talk, okay? So I, I get all that. But we need to reflect Jesus more than demand our rights. Okay? We as Christians should be willing, at least, to give up our rights and privileges in preference to others. We, we, we live in a culture that says we're entitled to things. We think everybody should be entitled to a nice home. Everybody should be entitled to health care. Everybody should be entitled to three meals a day. I can go on and on and on and on. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't try to see that those things take place for people. But there's a difference in saying this is the way we should live and how we should share with one another and how we should treat one another. That's different than saying we're entitled. When you get the idea that we are entitled to something, folks, listen, the only thing that we have ever earned is hell. That's it. That's it. Everything else is a blessing from God. But what Jesus or what Paul's saying here is, listen, don't think too highly of yourself. Biblical humility is this, and I think this is worth writing down. Having, it's having the right view of ourselves in light of the cross. I think we misunderstand humility sometimes. I think we misunderstand humility by when somebody comes and gives us a compliment. Hey, you did a good job today playing the bass. Oh, no, I didn't. I, I made a lot of mistakes. I'm, I kind of stink. I'm surprised I even leave and let me play still. That's not humility. That's goofiness, okay? Don't, don't, don't act that way. Don't say those things, okay? Say thank you. Here's what I mean. Biblical humility if it's having the right view of ourselves in light of the cross, we are something because of Jesus. I'm nothing on my own. But listen, I am a child of God. I'm on the winning team. He has, he has sent his son to die for me. I'm that worthy. He loves me that much. He has given me gifts and abilities because he wants to use me that bad. Now, I'm not saying, you know, I'm doing him some favor by being on his team. I'm not saying that. All. What I'm saying is, folks, listen, uh, we need to have the right attitude about who we are. Not this, like, lowly, I'm, I'm the dirt on the belly of a snake view of ourselves. There's a difference between self-esteem and Christ-esteem. Our self-esteem should be very low. What I can accomplish and do in my life by myself is not much. But we should have pretty high Christ esteem by me doing what God wants me to do and being who God wants me to be I can fulfill everything he wants me to fulfill let me just talk to the teenagers for a minute listen uh, I, I like to watch the news and I don't think a week goes by that I don't hear something about bullying these days folks that's not a new phenomenon Okay, Probably all of us were bullied sometime in our life. 
And, and young people, I don't want you to live in a culture, I don't want you to be taught that, hey, if somebody says something bad about me, I have to run to some safe place and lay in the corner and cry myself to sleep because they hurt my feelings. I don't want you to live there, okay? I want you to live in a place where you understand who you are in Jesus, and those people, their opinion just does not matter. Listen, if somebody comes in here today and says, you know, Michael, that's probably the worst sermon I ever heard. You're kind of an idiot. You're pretty ugly to look at, and I don't think I'm ever coming back to this church. I just won't lose any sleep tonight. <laughs> because, you know, what somebody thinks about me is really not that cr- Don't go extreme. We want to love each other, and we want to be loved by each other. But I'm just saying, folks, we've got to get out of this system where we're teaching our kids to just, you know, roll over and play dead because somebody doesn't like you. God likes you. God sent his son to die for you. That, that ought to give you enough Christ esteem that, listen, if somebody thinks I'm an ugly idiot, I'm just okay. I'm just okay with that. And you need to be okay with that too. Kids, don't let people tell you uh, you're somebody different than who God says you are. Know who you are and get your sense of worth from your relationship with Jesus in light of what he has done for you and it will revolutionize your life. I promise you. I promise you. And folks, here's why this is so important. Here's what it says in James 4, 6. It says, but he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He gives grace to them. You know, this is a universal principle in God's word, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. This word opposes or resists in other translations. It means that God is actively working against those who are proud and self-important on their own. Now, I don't know about you, but my life is full of enough complications and chaos. The last thing I need is God working actively against me. I don't need to bring that on myself. So what this is saying is, listen, when we start to think too highly of ourselves on our own, God's going, okay, I'm going to just actively work against you. Is that because he doesn't love us anymore? No. See, he keeps pushing us down. Why? So that at some point we go, okay, God, I get it. I, I really do need you, and I'm really nothing without you. And then what happens? He lifts us up. See, it's a universal principle. It happened with Jesus. He deserved this. He put him, gave himself to be this when he became a man, and then he died, and he died on a cross. He humbled himself lower and lower, and because he did that, God raised him back up to the highest. Folks, if you want God to actively work in your life for you, you need to have the right attitude about who you are in the shadow of the cross. If you don't, God will work against you until you get it. <laughs> you know, we learn in different ways. And I pray today that you'll learn this, this lesson from hearing it rather than having to experience it. You know, uh, I heard a story about people learning in different ways. And this is a story about a bear, a fox, and a rabbit. They went out hunting together and they caught three deer. And they came back and they said, well, how, the bear said, how should we divide these up? And the rabbit said, well, there's three of us, there's three deer, let's each take one. So the bear reaches over and eats the rabbit. 
He looks at the fox and says, what do you think we should do? Fox said, well, I think you ought to take all three of the deer. The bear said, you're a smart fox. Where'd you learn that? He said, from the rabbit. (laughs) Now today, be a fox, not a rabbit. Learn this from God's word and just humble yourself. Don't have to experience it for yourself, for God to work against you, for you to get it. What Paul's saying here is, listen, if we just practice love and unity, motivated by the humility of Jesus, we will be a church of few divisions, focused on mission and vision, rather than our petty differences. You know, being involved in, 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 as a pastor and with, with pastors and church work and, and church planting, I hear a lot of stories. I have yet to hear a story about a church that split because of a deep theological difference. Half of our congregation believes this, half of our congregation believes this, and so we're going to split based on some deep theological difference. I just don't hear about that. What I hear about is, yeah, church built a new foyer, and, and they split because half of them want a blue carpet and half of them want a red carpet. What? Really? Something like that that doesn't even matter? Or somebody hurt my feelings, and I got my friends against them, and we all this kind of goofiness. Listen. We don't need that stuff here. In fact, I'd say our our church is really good about this. If we practice love and unity and then are motivated by the humility of Jesus, folks, we will live in love and unity with one another and see God do great things through us. Not because we are great, but because he is great. In fact, I want to say, like Paul, I want to say, church at Fellowship of Grace Good job. You guys are doing really good at loving one another, at at showing love and unity. As I said before, as soon as a need goes up on the city, boy, people are hitting it. We're, we're, We're doing that. We're helping each other. We're loving each other. I hear very few, very few ever, you know, I just don't like them. Probably because they know I'll say, well, maybe you just need to grow up. How about that? But, but also because we don't act that way here, okay? And we don't have a culture that allows people to act that way here. I want to say good job, Fellowship of Grace, but listen, don't forget. Don't forget. I think God is about to do some really, really cool things in our church over the next six months, probably bigger than any of us can dream. And we need to be really careful that we don't go, you know, <laughs> we are pretty cool. We kind of are one of the best churches in town. We, you know, this really is a church everybody should go to. Because as soon as we do that, guess what's going to happen? God's going to start pushing us down, and he's going to humble us until we go, okay, God, we get it. We're nothing without you. And then he'll raise us up again. So I just want to say, good job, church. Keep doing it. Keep serving each other in love and in unity, and let's keep a humble attitude. We are somebody here because Jesus made us somebody. But that's it. That's it. We are nothing without him, but we are everything that he designed us to be with him. So let's just keep being who he designed us to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for your spirit, the way that they teach us, the way that they motivate us. God, we thank you for the privilege of being in such a great church because you have done such great things in our lives. Father, help us as individuals and as a church 
to keep these attitudes and these, these behaviors that Paul is talking about. Really, it's about having the right heart, having love and unity for, for one another, love for one another so that we have unity and we experience unity. And then this humble spirit that just uh, isn't, isn't lowly and, and, and self-deprecating, but it's, it's just the realization of who we are and who you are and what you've done for us. We thank you. We thank you, thank you, thank you that you don't give us what we deserve. God, the last thing I want from you is for you to be fair with me. But Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace and your love and your care and your investment in us. I pray that we will live life with a high Christ esteem, knowing that you want to do something with our lives. God, help us to just fulfill everything you want us to do and be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.